The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Uh, we're going to be lo- looking at the Passover meal tonight, so we're picking up in Exodus chapter 12. Um, and so we are going to be looking at this together. Last week we looked at the 10th plague. And we're going to pick up with chapter 12 here of the Passover that happens during the 10th plague. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're going to look at this together, okay? Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us the gospel in the book of Exodus. And so we pray that as we look here at this celebration of your mercy in the Passover supper, that we would experience your mercy afresh in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So we all have, we tend to have, a, um, we tend to have an association of major uh, festivals and major, um, major meals of the year with like national identity type stuff. We, uh, we have Thanksgiving, right? I don't know. Thanksgiving is a big deal to me. I hope it is to you. Primarily for the food, right? But it, it marks um, it's a it, it marks kind of like the beginning or kind of like a major point of our year um, as a country. And what that you know you look back. Actually, I was trying to look at um, this this week. I spent um, a total of maybe ten minutes looking on Google for um, like the symbolism of the foods at Thanksgiving. I couldn't find anything for you. I mean, <laughs> I have like the the goat's horn with food in it. And it got into like Greek mythology. I was like, okay, that's interesting, but not what we're talking about, you know. But there's not like we have Thanksgiving, and it's not like a major like symbolic event. We just kind of it has you know connotations of like it's good to get together as a family, start our country out, corn, all that stuff. What we're looking at tonight is a bit of like the Thanksgiving meal of the Old Testament. This is the major festival. It's the major one where everybody, you know, gets together. This is the one that, that everybody kills a fatted calf for and they're all excited about. And so what we're looking at is a bit of like the major feast, the major national identity of the Old Testament. Um, and so leading up to this, let me just kind of review what's been going on going up to this moment. What's been happening is we've, we've had Moses show up. God's going to free his people. God says, I'm going to free my people, and here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to send the 10 plagues, and the 10 plagues come, and then the 10th plague is the Passover lamb. So what happens with the Passover lamb is that they go out in the field, they find their lamb that they want, and it has to be a one-year-old lamb, has to be spotless, and has to be pure. So they, kill, they bring it in. They get it. They have it with them for two weeks, which is just long enough to be really friendly with the lamb. And then they kill the lamb. Uh, they, put, they they take the blood and they put the blood on the doorpost of the house. Uh, and then they take the the rest of the lamb and they roast it. I mean, I don't know about you, but just roasted lamb sounds great right about now. That sounds like a great Thanksgiving practice. Roast. No, <laughs> there's not in the back. No, roasted lamb, and then as a part of it, they have to dress, they have to like dress like they're going on a hike and and eat the eat the food real quickly, unleavened bread. Um, they can't step outside, and that is kind of the overview of what's going on leading up to this, right? They have taken this lamb, and what we saw last week is that the lamb was there because there was no difference between the Israelites and the Egyptians. They were all going to receive the judgment of God, 
And the way they got passed over for the judgment of God is they executed God's judgment on somebody else, which was this lamb. The lamb stood in the place of the judgment that they deserved. And so the feast that they're gathering around is under this mercy of God because God is passing over them because of the death of this lamb in their place. As we were looking at that, we were seeing last week that they trusted in God's promise that he would forgive them of their sin because of this lamb. And then they must have joined, they must have really got to treasure the sacrifice of this lamb. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Passover lamb and kind of the feast, the details of the dinner, right? I don't know if you guys have like details for your Thanksgiving dinner, two o'clock, suit and tie, potatoes right here, looking at, I don't know what your details are, but these are the details of the feast. And as we're looking at this, I think we're going to begin to see that there is not just a feast that's kind of like, oh, that's interesting historical stuff, but it's actually a feast that we're invited to participate in today that we're invited to this same feast as we're going to look at this and we're going to look at it in the hands of Jesus later. So we are going to pick up here in chapter 12. And here's what we're going to do. The, the sermon tonight, super simple. We're going to look at Exodus 12. And then we're going to look at Jesus doing the Passover supper. Look at Exodus 12 together, the Passover, the original. And then we're going to look at the part two of it with Jesus. And we're going to draw out a few ideas from what we're seeing here. So I'm just going to read... Are you guys cool with this? I'm just going to read most of chapter 12. You guys hang with that. And then we're going to look at this together. Chapter 12 of Exodus, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of the month, every man shall take... <clears throat> take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if... The household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, and make you count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So about this time, right? Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat it. They shall eat the, feet, eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your, with your belt fastened and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, right? About to go out for a hike. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, and I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn of the land, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague shall befall you when I strike the land of Egypt. This shall be for you a memorial and you shall keep it for a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You should, so this is the presidential edict, right? We're going to do this every year. A statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat the unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. If any one of you, if anyone eats what is leavened 
from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, and on this very day I, will brought you out of, uh, I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, for the fourteenth day of the month, at the evening you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month of the evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land, you shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select your lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lentil with the two doorposts that is in the Two doorposts of your, his house until the morning. I'm sorry, skipped a line there. Two, two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of your door of his house until the morning. For the Lord shall pass through and strike the Egyptians. When he sees the blood on the lentil and on the two doorposts, the Lord pass, will pass over the, the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord is giving you, he has, that he has promised, he shall keep, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the house, houses of the people of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. So you guys still with me? That was a long story. So here's what I want to do. I just want to look at this and explain a few of the things that are going on, right? So they, they select the spotless lamb, they keep it, they slaughter the lamb, and they're supposed to roast it. Like, why is it a big deal that they're supposed to roast it versus boiling or eating it raw? I mean, personally, I wouldn't eat raw lamb, but, you know, not my context. But uh, I think what's going on here is that the Lord is, is in this Passover supper. He is writing into it the very nature of, oh, can you do this quickly? Because you're not the one doing this. I'm the one doing this. God, in the way they're doing it, so roasting the, f- the food would have been something they could do quickly, like on the run, kind of like out in the woods. They could have roasted a lamb. Boiling would have taken a long time. But this is something that God wants them to do quickly. He wants to emphasize this is something that you do in haste because it's my strength that comes and saves you, not your own strength, right? This isn't something we all like planned out a year in advance. Okay, we're going to kind of set aside a little bit of some money here and there. We're going to pay off Egypt and get out of town. No, God's going to come in in a swift move and he's going to save them and deliver them quickly, which is how he saves you, right? He saves us. It's not anything that we bring to the table. We, we don't come dressed prepared to be saved, <laughs> God comes in and shows up and he saves us quickly in his own way and he does it on his own strength. And so I think that that's the reason that this is kind of the whole emphasis on the quickly, fast, that dynamic. It's his, his power alone and it's his mercy that is this, it's his idea that this happens. So I just want to pull out three ideas here from this that we're going to see here and then we're going to, I think we're going to see him again when we look at this Passover supper in the hands of Jesus. 
So there's just three things I want to note here. First is that they are reliving God's mercy together in the Passover. The Passover is an invitation to relive God's mercy together, right? They're supposed to do this every year. This is like, this is the day one of the calendar, right? This is January one of their calendar. And what do they do on January one of the calendar? They celebrate God saved us and he made us his own people. This is God this is not just kind of like, oh, we're just going to start the calendar on a certain day. No, but you see there uh, in verse 27, this is the Lord's Passover. This is God's deal. This is God's thing that he started. And they're starting out with their identity rooted in God's mercy. But what's interesting is that this is something that goes, that goes on for many years. This goes on forever, it says, in their identity. Because God is inviting them to year after year relive his mercy to them. And I don't just kind of mean that in like a kind of like a memorial way, kind of like you keep the memorial. You have to turn that. I'm going to read this for you because what happens later on, I think gives us some insight in how God intends for us to understand this. So in Deuteronomy 5, this is where what happens in, in the story, right? People are saved out of God's presence. They're brought to, um, to the mountain of God to be with God, right? Where God promised to bring them. And by the time they get there, uh, they're a wreck, right? <laughs> um, their true nature is really kind of revealed. And so God sends them wandering, and everybody that was at the, the original mountain, they're long since dead. And so Deuteronomy is basically taking all the whole story of the Bible up to this point and preaching it in five big sermons. Could you imagine five big sermons that make up? I promise I won't do that to you. But five big sermons, and so this is the first one, and it's all to the, the, the people who weren't actually there, right? They weren't there at the events, but God is, uh, through Moses, preaching these sermons, and he says, Deuteronomy 5, And Moses summoned all of Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes of the Lord that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord your God made a covenant with us at Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us. We're all here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while you stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare the word of the Lord. So what's fascinating here is that Moses is addressing them and saying, um, you weren't there at these events, but then God's addressing you as though you were, because God was there, and God is inviting you into his mercy, this relationship with God. He's inviting you near to be his people. He's inviting you. He's effectively kind of recreating the event in his presence with you to say, this was not something I did for them, but for you. So then, just a few chapters later, when Deuteron- Deuteronomy 16, where Moses delivers the Passover to them, I just want to read the first few verses of this. Observe the month... Of Abid, of Abib, and keep the Passover of the Lord your God. For in the month of Abid, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. Brought you out of Egypt by night, right? So these are not the people that were physically there, but then God is recreating the event by the Passover, saying, "No, you, I was there, and this was for you." And you shall offer the Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God from the flock of the herd at the place that the Lord will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall eat not any any leavened bread. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste. 
And all the days of your life, you will may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. So here we have later Moses is giving the Passover, right? And he's saying, um, God is saying to the people, um, you were there. I delivered you. I, I passed over you. I, you had this, the supper, the sacrificial lamb, and I passed over you. So God's saying something here. He's saying, when you celebrate the Passover, we are recreating the Passover situation where the sacrifice happens, God sees the blood and he passes over them. But these are, it's said to people who weren't actually there. But when what God is saying, the Passover supper is supposed to be a recreating, a redrama, right? It's like taking them kind of like a time warp back to that moment when it happened. And he's saying, you're enjoying my mercy like you're actually there at the moment. You're enjoying my mercy as though I was at, you were actually there when I passed over. So they're not just kind of like reliving God's mercy together in kind of like a memorial way. Like, oh, our anniversary happened. Like, that's great. No, no. Like, it's like going back to the wedding. It's going back to the actual moment. So they're reliving the presence of God's mercy in the Passover. The second thing we see here, I just want to say this and then we'll move on quickly. I'm sorry. Reuniting is God's holy family. One of the things that's fascinating here is that this is given to them so that they are no longer identified as like a, a nation of clans that all kind of, all have kind of like same family tree, but they're all invited. This is the Lord's Passover, right? So says there, in verse 27, this is the Lord's Passover. This is his feast that he's prepared for them. And he's inviting them to his table as though to say, this is my family. You're invited to my table. They're no longer separate clans, but they're now all identified as the family of God. So when, when they gather together, they are sat, they're gathered together as one family to God's family. And I just want to ask the question, what's the deal with all the leaven, right? We kind of like, we read a lot about the leaven. What's the deal with the leaven? Like, what's that? Like, if, you eat the unle- if, you, if you eat leaven, you are cut off from Israel, <laughs> What's, I mean, that seems pretty harsh, right? Like, I like my white wheat bread. I like my wheat bread, a little fluffy, a bit sweeter. Here's the deal with leaven, right? Anybody do sourdough? Sourdough. All right. So the way sourdough works, right? You have you have yeast, bread. You make bread. You hold a little bit out, and you keep that that yeast, the leaven, going, right? We had, at one point we had some friend, a friend of ours who was from Alaska and he had like some like sourdough stuff that he gave us that was like, it had been going for like a hundred years. <laughs> I was like, it's kind of cool. You know, I felt very healthy. Uh, I could have written a Facebook post about how healthy I was, but it was, um, you know, so that's the way sour, sourdough, um, the way yeast works, it's, it's a continuation, right? It's a little bit of the past in the present, right? It's a little bit of the old days in the present day. And so when God saves his people, he's saying, nothing from Egypt will go with you. I'm starting new, and nothing from the old contamination of Egypt is going to be a part of your future. Right? So you see what I'm saying? It, there, there's, no, there's no transfer. You don't kind of like take in your back pocket a little bit of Egypt with you. This is all new, and you are identified as what? My holy people. You will be to me a, a pure and holy people. So when God says no leaven, I mean, in some ways it's like a, it's a physical, like it, there is actually a part of Egypt in that leaven that they're gonna, they would be taking with them if they were to take it, right? And it, but it has a spiritual meta, you know, meaning of, no, 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 none of the old ways, none of your sinful ways 
will be a part of your identity as my holy people. So, the last thing I think we see here is that it's, so we've been saying that re, reliving God's mercy together, the Passover is reliving God's mercy together, the Passover is reuniting as God's holy family, and then the Passover is redirecting their hope. So, right there, they've been given this promise, God's going to save you, and he's going to deliver you to a land to be a new people with a new God and a new identity. And the Passover is to reconfirm for them, right? You know, God's fulfilling his promises. He's delivering us. We're, we're going to the land that he's going to give us, right? He, the land, right, you shall observe this, right, verse 24, as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, that he has promised, right? This has a forward look to it, right? It's looking forward to what God is going to do. So, with that said, is everybody cool? Cool with what's going on with the Passover? All right, so you have that happening, and then um, Passover here, and then uh, you have the whole history of the Bible, so it's rather large, and then we get to Jesus, right? So several hundred years later. I don't know the exact numbers, but we're talking a long time. And so we're going to look at what happens by the time we get to Jesus with the Passover, because this is where we begin to see the seeds of the Passover and what it's supposed to do flourish into the reality, the tree of what we're supposed to enjoy. So we're going to look at Jesus and the Passover, and we're going to pick up the Passover with Jesus. Here's what I want to do. I want to read this passage, and we're going to get introduced to Jesus celebrating the Passover, and then we're going to talk a little bit about what the Passover at the time looked like. So, Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 7, we're just going to read the 7 7 to 13. Then came the day of unleavened bread, wow, that sounds familiar, on which the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And they said to him, "Where uh, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold... Uh, you, when you have entered the town, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house where he enters, and tell the master of the house the teacher says to you, "Here's the guest room. Where's the guest room where we may eat the Passover with my disciples?" And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as they told him, and they prepared the Passover. So by the time that we get to Jesus, so several, several, several hundred years later. Um, what began as kind of what you might call a simple fe- feast, you know, you have the lamb, uh, the unleavened bread, and um, the bitter herbs, right? So you have those three things. Um, it's developed into a bit of a to-do, right? It's got a bit of a, a structure to it. I don't know how your guys' uh, birthday celebrations are, but some families have very like defined celebrations of how you do, like, this is how you celebrate a birthday, right? I mean, the event of the birth was, you know, pretty spectacular, uh, but now the way we celebrate it, you know, you have your special birthday breakfast, followed by no gifts, maybe one card, and then you have no gifts until, for us, our family, no gifts all day. It's celebration, whatever you want to do, you go to the museum, you go on a hike, whatever you want to do. Then you have your birthday dinner, which is specially requested. Uh, you know, it might be steak, which would be great, maybe a roasted lamb. <laughs> have your special dinner, 
And then you have your cake, which is specially selected. You have your special cake that was prepared. And then after everybody has had their first slice of cake, then after the day of agony and waiting, you can finally open your card and open your gifts. Like that's how we do it in our family. Um, that's at least that's the way I grew up. And because I'm a loving father, I subject my children to the same, you know, rigid, you, you have to wait till the end of the day. And so similarly, it had developed into a bit of a ritual by the time Jesus is doing the Passover. And there's uh, what had ha- what was originally you had the lamb, uh, right? Originally, you had the lamb, the herbs, the unleavened bread. Now they've added a fourth thing. Um, they've, they have, they've added four cups of wine to the celebration. And the four cups of wine that they're going to add to the celebration actually come from the original promise that God made to Egypt in the book of Exodus, that back at the beginning, Exodus chapter 6. And so, Exodus chapter 6, I, will, I want to read this because... The four cups relate to those four promises in, in this promise that God makes about their deliverance. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. So this is Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. Say this to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And one, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will, two, I will deliver you from the slavery to them. And three, I will redeem you out of the outstretched arm with great acts of judgment. And four, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And I will show you that I am the Lord, your God who has brought you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. So these four promises, I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. And I will take you to be my, my own people. They related to these four cups. So the four cups were a cup of sanctification. I will bring you out sanctification I will deliver you a cup of freedom. I will redeem you a cup of redemption. I was going to redeem you. I'm going to a cup of redemption. And then the fourth one, the final one, I will take you to be my people, a cup of praise. So here's kind of like what the the service would have looked like for them, right? They would have, and you'll be, if you're familiar, we're not going to actually look at in detail the, the Seder meal or the Passover meal, but what it would have looked like is they would have kind of getting ready for everything. They would have removed all the leaven out of the house and they would have um, selected the lamb. So that was kind of like the preparatory thing, right? That's like uh, going to um, going to market basket and getting all the things to kind of get ready for the meal. Then when it came to Passover time, they would start by foot washing, right? So you see John 13, where Jesus has a Passover there. He's washing the feet of the people, of the disciples. Feet washing, hand washing, and they would have been setting the table, and they would have had assigned seats, like, where does everybody sit? And then they would have taken the first cup, and they would have had a special prayer, and they would have had a special describing what was going on. They would have had this first cup, first cup of wine, the cup of sanctification. They would have taken a sip, and they would have passed it around. They would have taken bitter, uh, some, some lettuce, dipped in some bitter, bitter herbs and eaten that as a remembrance of the bitterness of, the, of Egypt, right? It had the bitter herbs there, right? And then they would have taken the second cup. The second cup they would have prepared, they would have poured it, and then they would have um, had a bit of a Q&A, right? They would have they poured the second cup, and so that would have been uh, the cup of freedom, right? So they would have poured the second cup that would have related to, I will deliver you out of the land of Egypt, and then they would have had a bit of a Q&A, right? So the oldest son or the person of honor would have said, 
what is this about, right? Because remember in Exodus 12, they have this in the generations ahead when they ask, what is this about? So uh, ask, what is this about? And to have Q&A, the father would have told, here's a story of the book of, of, of Exodus from Abraham to Moses. Um, here's how God's delivered his people. They would have prayed and they would have taken the second cup, right? And then they would have taken bread. They probably would have had three pieces of flat bread, unleavened bread. Um, They're probably uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I don't know. Makes sense. They would have three pieces of bread. They would have uh, brought those out to the table, and the lamb would have been brought out. And so they would have blessed the food, and they would have eaten. They would have broken the bread and handed it around. And then they would have taken the third cup, the cup of redemption, blessed it, drunk it, and then they'd sing a few more songs, and then they'd take the fourth cup, the cup of freedom, or the cup of praise, I'm sorry. So that's kind of the overview of how they would have done that. And if you're tracking with it, you're going to be, you're going to kind of think, okay, wow, like I remember in the Passover, there's these things that happen, and you can just kind of map onto what they would have, the practice of what they would have done at the time. So if we're going to pick up here, Luke chapter 22, Verse 14, we'll just read here, and you kind of, you, you'll begin to hear some of the, what we just talked about is like the standard practice at the time. You'll hear some of it here. And when the hour had come, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. All right, so this probably was the second cup, right? The cup, uh, the cup of freedom, right? I will deliver you from, from slavery. And he took a bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this as remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, when they had eaten, right? So this would have been after they would have had the Passover lamb, had the bread. They took the third cup. This is the cup poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Behold, the man who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as has been determined, but woe to him by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them could, um, who's going to do this? So you begin to see some of the practice of what's going on at the time in the Lord's Supper of how it's given to us, right? Jesus takes this third cup, the cup of redemption, and he says, this cup of redemption is now my blood, right? And just a few verses later, Jesus is going to be in the garden saying to the Father, would you... Take this cup from me. The cup of God's wrath, the cup of God's infinite fury poured out into a cup that Jesus is going to, figuratively, in his death, drink down to the bottom. Jesus is going to become the Passover lamb, right? He is going to become the one that is going to take the judgment that we saw in Exodus 12 that was executed, that they deserved, that we deserve. 
God's judgment executed on Jesus in our place. This is the cup that God's given him to secure our redemption. This is the true cup of redemption, right? When Jesus dies in our place, his death becomes the redemption that we need. He frees us from the judgment that we deserve. God's coming down to destroy us under his righteous wrath for all the things that we have done against him. Jesus stands in place of us. And he drinks the cup of that wrath so that the cup of redemption now is handed to us. That's how we receive this cup of redemption, the cup of God's fellowship and grace to us. It is where we find God truly passing over us. When we look to Christ and we trust in him, the wrath of God passes over us. Because he is now the Passover lamb, which is why he then takes the bread and he rips the bread And he hands it to us. This is my body. You don't need lambs anymore. I'm the eternal lamb. Slain. But here's my body. Ripped for you. And then here's my blood. Poured out for you. Right? Here is is the body and blood. The death of Jesus. Now taken into these Passover elements. And they represent. They become the drama of Christ's redemption for us. They become the drama of the Passover lamb in our place. They become the judgment of God being executed on Jesus, the dramatic form in front of us. And so, like we were seeing with the Exodus situation back in Exodus 12, I think we're going to see the same things here. So I just want to pull out three points for us again because I think that there is something for us as we live now in Christ, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, the Passover carries on for us today. So the first thing we see is that God is, is reliving God's mercy together, right? We saw that in Exodus 12, they're reliving God's mercy together. We find that today. When Jesus takes this, he is saying, this table that I'm inviting you to, for you to be in uh, the Passover, the Lord's Supper, whatever you want to call it, this is, this is where God passes over you in the gospel, in the death of Christ. This is where, this is the drama of the gospel being laid out so that just as Jesus is giving this to them, right? We are invited to the same table. We become spiritually present with Christ in the gospel. When we receive the Lord's Supper, when we're invited to the Lord's Supper, we are re-invited into the drama of what's happening here, right? It's not just, it's not just kind of like something that we do as a, um, a religious ritual that kind of happened back then and we kind of remember it, but we're actually invited to God's presence, with us in the gospel when we receive the Lord's Supper. All right, this isn't, I'm not, hear what I'm, not, hear what I'm saying and hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying there's some sort of like um, way in which the body becomes the actual body of Christ, right? So we're not saying Roman Catholic stuff. What we are saying is that there is, there is a mercy and a presence of God in the Lord's Supper that we are invited to sit down at table with him. We are invited to be present with Jesus in the gospel where his body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us. We are invited to his table to experience his presence with us afresh in the gospel. So when we take these, the, the cup and the, and the bread, we are, we are effectively being invited to God's table to relive the drama of his mercy to us. We're invited to God's presence with us. The other thing that we do is that if you remember and how we kind of talked about back in Exodus 12 and in the practice of the time, they would tell the story of God's redemption, right? They would say, here's how God saved us and delivered us. 
They would tell the story. Now, I know some of you, it kind of grates against you to do the confession of faith before we take the Lord's Supper, right? It kind of, it's not like your thing. It feels a little like liturgical, but what we're doing when we're, when we're reciting the, Lord, the confession of faith before we take the Lord's Supper, we are telling God's story of how he has saved us. We are, we're doing exactly what happened in Exodus 12. We're doing what Jesus did. We're telling the story of redemption, what's true about God and what's true about us because of the gospel. We're telling the story of the gospel when we're taking this drama. We're invited into the drama of the gospel when we take the Lord's Supper. So it's not just kind of like something to be like super, you know, ritualistic and like it's like really cool and like only like really cool hipster like Christians and we like do all this like liturgical stuff. No, 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 it's not. It's because we're trying to say, this is what this represents. This is the story that we're invited into. When we take the Lord's Supper, we are invited into God's redemptive glory and how he has saved us in the sacrifice of Christ. The other thing it does, so it rel- the Lord's Supper is reliving God's mercy together. It's also reuniting us as God's holy family. Right? We, are, we are taking bread and breaking it just as God's bo- the son of God's body was broken so that in him we now become the body of Christ. We become unified as one people. Right? We are unified as a family around the table with God. We are unified as one people before God but it's also a declaration of reuniting as God's holy family. We come to the table, the qualifications for coming to the Lord's Supper. Are you broken, sinful, and needy? God wants you here. <laughs> right? So that's, that's what is required to come to the Lord's Supper. But what also happens in the Lord's Supper is we are saying that we will not celebrate or enjoy or delight in the sin that's so pervasive in our lives, right? We, we are prone to sin, we, we are prone to weakness, and we are prone to de- just destructive stuff in our lives. But we're saying in the gospel, we're not going to rest with that, and we're not going to be okay with that. We're going to continue to take that to Jesus and find his help. So you find in 1 Corinthians 5, right? So every, every week we, we recite 1 Corinthians 11. And earlier on in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 5, what happens is they've been celebrating the Lord's Supper. This is the New Testament, New Testament church. They've been celebrating the Lord's Supper and they've been kind of going a little wild with it. <laughs> it's going a little nuts. And so it's fascinating to see, you know, we were talking about the leaven, right? The leaven of the old, the old uh, stuff of Egypt. It won't be a part of your new life with God. And we're finding here, Jesus, Jesus and Paul are saying, the old leaven, the sin of our lives, will no longer be a defining mark of our lives as Christians. Not something we celebrate. So he says, 1 Corinthians 5, verses 5, 6 through 8, your boast is not good, right? So they're boasting about all the stupid stuff they were doing. You do, not, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may, make be, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened, that you're pure. In Christ. For Christ, our Passover lamb, again, all this Passover stuff, Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, right? The leaven of Egypt, the leaven of our sin, the the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. 
right? The only requirement is that you are a sinner who needs Jesus. That's what comes and brings us to the table. But we don't celebrate and say, yay, sin, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Just like in Exodus, they weren't saying, yay, Egypt. God was saying, no, you come to the table to celebrate my mercy, to enjoy my mercy to you, to enjoy me. So here we have this, this invitation to the Lord's Supper because here we are called to be reminded of being God's holy family. When we, when we receive the Lord's Supper, we are saying, we're, we are, we're God's children. And fresh, we need His grace because we need God to, to act like it. <laughs> right? If you think that, I, I hope you hear what I'm saying, right? All right. The last thing we see in the Lord's Supper, and then we'll close with this, is we are redirecting our hope. We are redirecting our hope. What's interesting is that in the Lord's Supper, if we've got our timelines right, Jesus takes right the cup of sanctification. He takes the cup of freedom. And he takes the cup of redemption. But he leaves the fourth cup on the table. The fourth cup of praise. And that's not to say we don't praise God. What that means is that there's still, there's still something to be, we're waiting for. Jesus does not take the Lord's, the fourth cup, right? He even says uh, in Matthew 26, 29, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew with my Father's kingdom. The fourth cup of praise, this fourth cup to be realized where they are made God's people forever. This fourth promise, he says, that's going to happen. And when it happens, then we'll party. <laughs> right? That's when Jesus will again take this cup off the table and enjoy the fellowship of God's people with him. Right? Because the redemption of God's people is not just to kind of get us um, a get-out-of-jail-free card from sin. <laughs> The redemption of God's people is to get us with God, in God's presence, in God's place, with God's people, in God's land. That is the purpose of Jesus' redemption in our lives. It's not just to kind of get us like sin management stuff. It's actually to get us in the presence of God, to be with God, to enjoy him, to be with God forever, where we will feast with God and enjoy him. It is this, The Lord's Supper is a re-invitation to direct our hopes to that day and not all the things that vibe for our hopes today. Right? What, what vibes for our hopes today? Right, The perfect presidential candidate or whoever you want, Right, the politics of the day, find your hope in that a better job or better economic situation. Once you get that, then things will be settled, right? Once the health stuff gets settled, once the children stop acting up, once my spouse gets their act in line, all the things that allure us for our hope today, the Lord's Supper redirects us to say, no, you are a people of a different land. Your hope is with a different king. Your family is, yeah, here, but they'll be a lot nicer to be around there. Right, our the Lord's Supper reminds us this is not our home. We are going somewhere. Right, so we we recite First Corinthians eleven six every week when we take the Lord's Supper, which says, "For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death." It's not stop. You proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Right, we are looking forward to this Passover Lamb coming back to welcome us to the final feast with him. 
in the Passover, when we take the Lord's Supper, we are saying we need the gospel today because this is the only thing that gets us from, there, from here to there, from this day to that day, right? The Lord's Supper is a reminder that we need Jesus today and we need him because we are just horrible, <laughs> sinful people, right? <laughs> right? It, you need the Lord's Supper, You need the Lord's Supper, not because there's any magic in it and there's no mojo or anything like that, right? There's nothing special about the elements or anything like that, but you need the Lord's Supper because Jesus said, take it as often as you get together. (laughs) Do this in remembrance of me because you need the gospel. We need the gospel because we are often, right? We are often weighed down with the burdens of our lives. Do you need comfort? Come Come and sit with Jesus at his table, right? He's here with us when we take the Lord's Supper. I mean, specifically, but in general, when we're worshiping him, do you, do you, are you lonely? Come to meet with Jesus at the Lord's Supper. Do you need somebody to forgive you of your sin? Receive fresh grace when we come to the Lord's Supper. Do you need hope just to wake up tomorrow when the darkness comes in? Come, come and have a meal with the one who experienced the darkness of the judgment of God to be your light and life, right? Are you suffering? Come and meet with the sufferer and receive his grace, right? The Lord's Supper is this drama that we are invited into. It's a physical drama of the reality of the gospel so that we are invited to enjoy Jesus and his sacrifice for us when we take the Lord's Supper. So here's what we're gonna do. I bet you all know what's going to happen. We're going to thank God, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper. That's the best application point. Perfect obedience. (laughs) Because here, when we meet at the Lord's Supper, we're meeting with Jesus to say, Jesus, I need you. I need you now. You're enough. Would you help me to enjoy your sacrifice? Father, thank you for what you've given us. We ask that you would be with us And would you bless this again? Would you bless your word? Would you bless the Lord's Supper as we receive it? That we would experience your presence with us afresh. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.